Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Kowalski. Occupation, driver. Transporting a supercharged Dodge Challenger from Denver to San Francisco. Background, Medal of Honor in Vietnam. Former stock and bike racer. Former cop, dishonorably discharged. Now he uses speed to get himself up. To get himself gone. Everybody's after Kowalski. For one reason or another. Is there something I can do for you? Well, like what? Like anything you want. Everybody wants a piece of his hide. Maybe kill somebody. Maybe stole that big dude of his. Maybe both. They want to get him and put him away. But they'll have to catch him first. Ah, my own This is yours truly, super, super soul. Directed live. And there goes the challenger being chased by the blue, blue meanies on wheels. The vicious package squad cars are after our known driver. The super driver of the Golden West. The police numbers are getting closer, closer, closer to our soul hero in his soul mobile. They're gonna kill him, smash him, rip the last American hero. It's the maximum trip at maximum speed. Vanishing point. Lovers, it's time for your traffic report. There's a six. Oh. What is it, Scooby? Can't you see I'm broadcasting here? Pile up on the tri-level. Got you backed up all the way to the off-ramp. So, if you're traveling this morning, try to give yourself an extra day or two, folks. <laughs> Hang on, folks. I've just been handed this important bulletin. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our regularly...
scheduled program to bring you this special report. Like live as it happens. This is Kevin Oste from SEMA and the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals and V8 Speed and Resto Shop and at car shows all over the place saying, hey, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, go to NostalgicRadioandCars.com, the archive page. Good evening, Bobby. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Pretty good. And, Tommy, you're hanging out there behind the... Uh, COVID uh, 2020 uh, big window there, right? That is correct. Back from a big election night. Oh, we're not going to go there. We're not no. going to go there. There was no election. But, that was but, a farce. Oh, well, Bill Cochran standing behind you there? Yeah, the well, place. you know, somebody, but anyway. Selling it, he just said, mypillow.com, promo code Bill. Mypillow.com, <laughs> promo code Bill. There you go. Anyway, welcome back to the studios. And the reason I say that is because I was actually out of town for a couple of days. I went up to what I did not know. Alabama is considered today the honeybee state. Did you know that, Bobby? I'm going to have to Google that. But anyway, yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I had to take a couple of days to go to Alabama. I have a customer up there that I do uh, periodically do some appraisals for. And I had the rare opportunity to... Not drive on the track, but drive around the track on the service road at Barber Motorsports Museum. Now, if you've never been to Birmingham, Alabama, it's actually Leeds, Alabama, which is just due west of, uh, due east of there. And um, Barber, Sports Motor- Barber Motorsports Museum has got to be by far the most unique museum in the world. Um, not only do they have a multi-story outstanding museum loaded with vintage motorcycles and a number of classic cars, but they've got an amazing racetrack. Now, the reason I was up there is because for one of my clients, I had to appraise, which means my appraisals often require not just taking a picture and sitting inside the car, but occasionally getting behind the wheel. The 1,000 horsepower Shelby Mustang. Now, this was the 2012 car and in 2011, we had the great honor of having the one and the only Carol Shelby on our radio show as a guest. And it took a couple of weeks to get uh, Carol scheduled in our show. But at one point, he called me up, and I probably should, should have played the clip. And uh, I'll find it here. But basically, the clip goes, Hey, Robert, I, I know I'm supposed to do your radio show, but I got to go to da- uh, to Las Vegas and test drive the 1,000-horsepower Shelby. But we'll do it next week, or on that order. But anyway, that was pretty cool. So I actually I saw the car back in the day, but this, is, uh, this time I actually got a chance to drive it. Now, I shot a video while I was doing the car, and I actually did one while I was sitting inside the car. Unfortunately... I was pre-warned that it had a pretty stiff clutch. Now, I'm, I'm a four-speed guy. I'm a stick guy, and I'm used to, you know, 3,000, 3,500 pound pressure plates um, and a short throw. But this thing, believe it or not, I got in it, and I had it running and everything, and I gagged it. Bobby saw the video, 
and uh, I think I sent a short it was like five seconds. And then I tried to, we fired the video up again, but it was kind of comical, but it can happen. So it, that, it just goes to show you even experienced drivers can have an issue. In fact, this goes back a number of years with Dave White, uh, Dave White Racing out of Tampa, a good friend of mine, was one of my driving instructors back in the day when we used to do the Porsche Club um, driving schools. And uh, I was in, I'm not sure what kind of car I was driving. I might have been driving a 944. And Dave White, who was a professional race car driver who had actually won Daytona in the GTU class, I think in 1976, maybe GTO class, I'm not sure. And uh, but he was driving a 911. He even said, you know, you you can't put a race car driver necessarily on a race car track, and doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, even though he's a good driver, and he can drive on a track. Doesn't necessarily mean that he can drive on a short course, tight course, you know, like a Gymkhana or a, an autocross course. He was kind of like, you know saying that sometimes you can actually look pretty bad out there. So that but that doesn't because when you're in a racetrack and you're on a real track and your mind's focused and you're on that with real cars, it's it's the real deal. It's kinda of like sitting in classroom and you're learning something and then you go out in the real world. It's two different things. Bobby, you're gonna make a comment? No. Oh, okay. I thought you was um anyway, you wanna do a little FLA car shows uh minute there for us? Oh, absolutely. That's that's the place to go to find them in person, online, wherever, car shows. All across the state, flacarshows.com, flacarshows.com. And once you've found the perfect car show, you'll probably be hungry, so you need to go to the Rip Shack Barbecue. <laughs> yes. Which is uh, 727-501-9090 is the number to place your order. Or just go on the phone, go open up Uber Eats, and it'll be at your door in 15 to 30 minutes, I'd bet. And if you happen to be driving by downtown West Bay Drive in Largo, or downtown Largo on West Bay Drive, it's 426 West Bay Drive. Remember that. The Elephant Motor, the big Chrysler. In fact, we just played a little clip here from Vanishing Point, and uh, that movie was came out in March of 71, uh, and I remember seeing it downtown here in Clearwater at the Capitol Theater. And uh, I enjoyed that movie. That was cool. I sat there. I probably saw the movie. I don't know. I saw it over and over and over. Back in those days, you could actually buy a ticket, and you could sit there and watch the movie over and over and over. Today, they don't let you do that, so you're missing all the good stuff. But at any rate, now, back to the 1,000-horsepower Mustang, or Shelby Mustang. Um, very interesting piece, very nice car. We only had 1,000 miles on it. So we'll see how that appraisal turns out. Now, one of the things I wanted to bring up real quick is documentation paperwork. I cannot overemphasize that on uh, these classic and collectible cars. And a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you guys that I was, you know, there's a generational shift going on, okay? So, you know, even though a lot of us are in the 50s, 60s cars, early 70s cars, late 70s, 80s, 90s cars are coming on, you know, because of people 10 years younger than us, that's the cars they grew up with. And we jokingly refer to those cars, particularly the Trans Ams, you know, the banded edition cars, uh, Cutlasses, Chrysler Cordobas, the Thunderbirds, the Cougars, all that kind of stuff, the Grand Prix, the Grand Ams. The disco era cars. Okay, so I recently had the pleasure of doing an appraisal on a 1976 Cutlass uh, Salon Colonnade, they called it. Okay, now I had to read up on these cars because you don't know everything there is to know about cars. You have to kind of like do your homework, do your little research and stuff. But what was interesting is in the process of looking through all the documentation on this car, and the, and the owner, the, the person that bought the car, that was selling the car, bought the car off the original owner. This original owner had this car, and then in 19, and then I think he bought it in 76. In 1980, he received a company car, so he basically parked the car. He relocated to Arizona. The car sat out in Arizona, so the car has virtually no rust. Just a speck or two, um, you know, underneath the uh, vinyl top there, but that's not uncommon, and that could be a whole host of things, and a little bit of paintwork. But what I thought was interesting is he had the original build sheet 
or not bill sheet, but the original Monroney sticker, which is the window sticker. He had the original sales sheet and the original sales uh, invoice, and sit uh, one sales contract and sales invoice. But the piece of paper that I thought was most interesting, because I hadn't seen one in ages, in fact, the last time I really saw one, was when I personally sat at Chicksmith Ford, downtown Clearwater, and in 1972, I was ordering a 72 Ranchero GT. But unbeknown to me, I missed the cutoff, and what they were trying to actually sell me was a 73, which was the ugly front nose, blunt nose car. Ultimately, I ended up finding a used one. Actually, it was sold through them. It was on the showroom floor uh, about a month or two later, and I ended up buying that car back in 1973 or two. No, it was probably about six months later, whatever it was. But anyway, so, but... I remember sitting in the little sales guy's office, and they handed me this little uh, sheet, and it's basically a pre-order sheet. Well, here, this car actually had one, and I'm gonna, I've got a copy of it here on my phone, and basically it says Cutlass Salon, okay, then it says the two-door model and the four-door model, and it says models and equipment. And there's literally a checklist where you go down this checklist, and it's like uh, armrests, ashtrays, brakes, power front disc brakes, rear drums, cigarette lighter, um, Delcatron, well, that probably has something to do with paint. Electronic ignition system. So, you, well, obviously, back in those days, they did in 76. 260 VA, floor carpeting, frame, hood ornament, hood release. You know, all this kind of stuff you could order. You know, I didn't realize that every little thing was a la carte and optional. Instrument trim panel, instrument stripes, lamps, lamp switches, you know, style. Mirrors, day night, or, or not day night. Uh, mirrors, outside rearview mirror, single outside, sport mirrors, moldings, bright color moldings. Uh, uh, let's see, panel, a wheel, opening moldings. Uh, let's see, what else here? Seats, contour reclining front bucket seats, seat cushions, seat head restraints, stirring variable ratio power, stirring wheel, a special salon style. Uh, tires, transmissions, ventilations, uh, wheels, 15 by 7. You know those wheels that they put on the Oldsmobiles? Um, I always used to refer to them as rally wheels, and they're really not. They're actually called Super Sport Series 2, Series 3. Actually, Series 1, Series 2, Series 3, because they first came out in, the, in like the early, mid-50s, mid-60s, and then they revised them again, and then they revised them again in, uh, in the later years. So there was like a 14-inch, 14 by 6, a 14 by 7, and 15 by 7, too. Or 15 by 6, 15 by 7. Uh, seat adjuster, seat belts, floor mats, uh, spare tire, wheels, let's see, engine options, axle options, heater, cruise control, engine heater, just a whole litany of stuff. And it's just pretty amazing when you start looking at all this stuff that, you know, it was pretty cool. And today, you don't have that option. Today, you basically spec out a car with a package. You know, it's a premium package, or it's a comfort package, or it's got a tow package, or it's got a convenience package, or something like that, and it gives you a few little items. You know, you get the leather package and stuff. So I thought that was kind of interesting because on this order form, on this order sheet, everything is optional. Everything's fair game. Uh, let's see, what else? There was something else. Uh, I did not know this. But in 1976, you could actually order a... Now, you knew you could get a four-speed in those cars, right? But I did not know that a five-speed was available. And it doesn't mention four-speed. So Chevrolet, I think, because Monte Carlo, I think I'm seeing a Monte Carlo with a four-speed in it, which was a very rare option. But this one, actually, if you ordered the 260 V8, you had the option, two-barrel motor, of course, you had the option of a five-speed manual with a 273 gear. Uh, excuse me, that was standard, and then you can get an optional 308 ratio. So pretty cool. When you start looking at the options, you know, some of these things like, for example, uh, heavy-duty shocks, leveling system, 
But let me go back here to moldings. Uh, let's see, some of this stuff has a price with it. So soft ray tinted windows was $50. Um, power windows was a $99 option. And a coupe, it was a $140 option. And a sedan, trunk release was $17. Seat adjuster, six-way power seat, $124 for the option. Hatch roof, I say that's like the T-tops you get, was $500 option. Seat belts, deluxe seat belts, $13 option. Floor mats, auxiliary floor mats, $8. And so on and so on and so on. So that's pretty cool. I was pretty impressed with this. We just finished this appraisal here. The guy's really cool with it. And we put market value on it. But I was amazed that when I was doing the comparable, some of those cars are pulling, you know, high teens, low 20s. But anyway, on that note, I think Tommy is going to fire up the stereo. And since we're on a Michigan kick tonight, we're going to play a little, uh, some man's bands music from Michigan, because our guest is from Michigan. And here's a little uh, Rare Earth, Get Ready. This is actually one of my favorite songs out of the 70s, early 70s, so it's a pretty cool song. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you tune into Nostalgia Gaming Cars. Now, um, 
I was just glancing over here. Um, boy, I'll tell you what, get ready. That's a real, Even though the Temptations did that, I just like uh, Rare Earth's version of it because it's just got a real heavy beat to it. But anyway, um, this past we're week... Ready. <laughs> we're ready. We're ready. This past weekend was the uh, uh, HSR, HSR Classic 24 at Daytona this past weekend, and I would have loved to have gone. But with the storm taking place this week... Um, and I, w- I had to make a decision to go to Alabama to take care of business here with these collectible cars that I appraise from time to time for this collector. So unfortunately, I couldn't go. But I just uh, I saw Mike. Just uh, big shout out to my good friend Mike Flynn and and the rest of the crew over there and Kelly and everybody and Flo and Hook at uh, Hollywood Wheels. And um, but I had some good time working there with those guys, you know, at the auction company. And I, I missed that. That was a great time. But anyway, unfortunately, I had to go take care of business, and I, I regrettably missed uh, HSR Classic. But anyway, and that's usually a pretty good show because you have people from and the the 24-hour Classic is uh, an HSR. Check it out. Historic Sports Car Racing is is a pretty cool organization. I'm a member of them or was, um, but I still go. I mean, it's kind of like a. Uh, Honorary member, I guess, if you will, you know, something like that. But but I go there on a media capacity a lot. And basically, it's vintage car racing at its finest. And on the East Coast here in Florida, the 24-hour classic put on by HSR is probably one of the finest events. And there's cars from all over the world. The most amazing cars, Shelby's, Cobras, Bosses, Ferraris, Porsches, uh, Lamborghini. Well, maybe not a Lamborghini. Occasionally an Aston Martin. Um, and some vintage stuff, vintage Fords, vintage Chevrolets, vintage uh, Lotuses, uh, MGs, uh, Jaguars, just you name it. It's it's all there. Obviously, Aston Martins and stuff, too. So that's pretty cool. So a uh, big shout-out to my friends over there at HSR. Big shout-out to everybody over there at Hollywood Wheels. Now, back to the uh, collector car. While I was driving up there, okay, we've got a couple of minutes yet before we introduce our guests for the evening. But I will tell you this. While I was diddy-bopping through Alabama, now, normally this would be an eight-hour run. To a couple months ago, I had to go to Eufaula, Alabama, and look at a car for the same company and uh, same group. And uh, that was a five-hour run up, five-hour run back, five and a half, either way, both ways, one way, you know, back in 10, 10 11 hours. And to Birmingham is about uh, 16 hours there and back. But I made it, like, 16 hours one way because I kind of, like, detoured. And so I went straight up U.S. 19 and uh, straight into Georgia, straight through the middle of Georgia, then hung a left, and then I zigzagged around. And, you know, I, what, I, I set no parameters, no time limit. I knew I had to be there at their doorstep the next day. So I decided to just kind of take a cruise. And I was amazed at the old cars, the gas stations, the abandoned gas stations, the abandoned restaurants, the old buildings, all the cool stuff. It was really, really cool. In fact, for you car guys, not that this is a big deal, but I'm sure you all guys, you all use floor dry or oil dry or something like that, you know, when to, to soak up your grease spills on the floor when you're working on your car. Well, going through Georgia there, there's a town, I forget the name of it right now, but it's where they make oil dry, you know. So I took a picture of it. Um, but I, I thought mean, you were going to say the name of it's oil dry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's something with the town. But anyway, but I mean, I don't care whether I mean the whole trip. I only saw two Mustangs and I couldn't get to them. But other than that, I was taking pictures of Ramblers, Ford trucks, Chevys trucks, uh, Volkswagens, a Bronco, you know, a '70s Bronco, which is very collectible. Old trains, uh, tractors, uh, semis, just just tons of, and, and stuff. In fact, when I, 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 I picked up a few things, because you know me, I can't, no self-respecting. I drive a little Ford Transit van right now, which is very dangerous because it's got a lot of room. It's called cargo area in the back, and it gets a great gas mileage. 
And somehow when I leave here, it's empty. When I come back, there's stuff in the back. You really should be getting, giving them something else to drive. Yeah, I really. There. I should be driving. See, if I was driving my Porsche, my little Porsche, Porsche, you know, or something, or some little, my MG or Little Miss Moneypenny or something like that. Uh, not my, although I have taken the seat out of the front seat out of that thing and stuffed the transmission and some other parts in there when I'm, it's just, it's a sickness, it's a disease. You know, being a car parts junkie is terrible, you know, but there was a lot of really- There is hope. (laughs) There is hope, yes. But I met this really cool guy and I'll have to put a picture of him up on our Facebook page. Speaking of Facebook, Facebook is the topic of tonight's Mm-hmm. Uh, show. So we will get into this in a few minutes. And I think what Tommy's going to do is fire up the stereo again, and then we're going to call and get our guests on the phone because we got a lot of gabbing to do here. So, uh, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Game Cars. Here's a little MC5, also from Michigan. Motor City is burning. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Game Cars. We'll touch that dial. We'll be right back. sensation this new Pontiac the only car with wide track wheels which widen the stance not the car itself wide track wheels adhere when you steer I mean cling to the thing so that every curve is a turn for the better that's just one of the reasons why Motor Trend magazine is named Pontiac car of the year by the wide margin of its wide track wheels sterling performance and live looks Pontiac stacks up as the automotive success of the season so why not take the wide track that leads to Pontiac? Wide track Pontiac, car of the year. Hey everybody, this is Mark Farner, the founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, and I'm listening to nostalgic radio in cars where they'll knock you alive. Okay, we're back and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thank you there, uh, 
our good friend from Michigan, Mark Farner. And speaking of Michigan, now we're all familiar with uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and some of these other social media. I guess there's what Instagram, something like Platforms, that. Platforms, right? yes. Platforms. <laughs> that's what they call. It. Okay, yeah. Well, at any rate, um, I'm used to magazines, you know, yes, print and yes. TV and stuff like that. But at any rate. But occasionally I, I surf around on all these stuff. So, you know, you never know what you find. Of course, being a car guy, you know, I, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to, topics that you want to kind of follow, right? In groups and so on, right, Bobby? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so while I was stumbling around, I ran across this, um, I used to see these ads all the time, and they were vintage car ads, and I was pretty impressed with them. So I started following this site. And uh, and the caption, or the, the, the head, I, what do you call it? Name them? of the page. The name of the page, yes, is Motor City Adman. So I kept following it and following it and watching it and stuff, and then occasionally I would follow another one, and there was a gentleman's name, but I really didn't make the association. Well, finally, I just decided to take the opportunity to contact this person and find out what Motor City Adman is all about. So I did, and uh, I'm delighted to welcome the uh, moderator, I guess you would call it, for the Motor City Adman Facebook page, uh, Kevin Krasinski. Kevin, how you doing? And welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Real good tonight, Robert. So we were talking earlier, and we were talking about Pontiac and the wide track. So therefore, I had to play that commercial so we could elaborate on that a little bit. And then, since you're from Michigan also, I figured I'd play a little MC5. And uh, and I played earlier the little clip from the the movie trailer from Vanishing Point, because I know you're a Vanishing Point fan, as I am. So, oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about. Let's use that the, the 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 your. We'll go into your Facebook page in a second, but let's talk a little bit about what we what you told me about Pontiac and how the wide track uh, uh, advertising uh, campaign campaign kind of started. Yeah, please. Yeah, well, uh, back in the day before they were using computers and other instruments to come up with car designs. 90, probably 90 to 95% of it was hand-generated. So with the brochures that were being produced for the uh, uh, dealerships, um, they had to have artists drawing the cars in order to put a brochure together. And back in the days, starting oh, probably mid-50s to mid-60s, uh, the Pontiacs seemed to have been one of the cars that were getting wider and wider on the pages of the brochure. And somebody probably put two and two together at GM and said, hey, what a great way to promote our vehicle. You know, Chrysler had the thing going on called the forward look. What could we come up with in order to promote our vehicles? Why not wide track? Wow, you know, that really blew them away with an idea like that. So Pontiac became... The wide track, the wide track Pontiac. Now, at the time, other GM as well as other um, car lines were running similar uh, types of promotions, but the one that caught on the most and people remember the most is wide track Pontiac. They even used that advertising through the 70s and, and the early part of the 80s when the muscle cars were starting to be phased out. But just when you put the the, the whole line together, Pontiac, wide track, you're thinking of, wow, the car's got a nice stance to it, but then you have the word track in there. What better way to promote a car that on the track like Trans Am with the Pontiac Firebird than a wide track? So that that's pretty much how the, the wide track got into GM, and what they wanted to do is uh, promote the, uh, the car with something to remember them by. 
Well, now it's interesting you measure, you you mentioned that because see, I used to be in the wrecking yard business. I was a salvage yard guy. Okay, so throughout the eighties and nineties, and of course, always being a parts junkie, I can tell you from experience that when I used to hear that ad, regardless of whether it was a '59 Pontiac or whether it was a '70 GTO, and they kept saying Pontiac, the wide track people. I will tell you that the rear end in an Olds Cutlass A-body or a GTO Le Mans or a Chevelle is the same width, same dimensions, other than the axles might be slightly different. One might be a basically a C-clip type. One might be uh, you know, a bolt-in or something like that. And then back in the day, in the early 60s, whether you had a full-size Pontiac, a full-size Buick, a full-size Oldsmobile, or a full-size Chevrolet. Well, Chevrolet might have been a little bit different, but the other three cars... They were all the same dimensions. The brakes interchanged, the rear ends interchanged, the suspensions interchanged. So there was nothing wide track about it. But to your point, the camp, the marketing campaign was brilliant. Yes, yes, it was. It was for them, and it it got the attention of quite a bit of the uh, early uh, muscle car people. Yeah, and and again to 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 elaborate on that a little bit, you were talking about the way that they did the artist renderings of these cars and the illustrations. And they basically elongated the car and widened the car. And it gave that image as if the car was bigger, lower, wider, sleeker than its competitors. And hence, you know, wide track. So, uh, yeah, real interesting. Yes, now, they were uh, uh, quite innovative in the way that they were using something, you know, as simple as just a, a, a picture on a, in a brochure of a car and just enhancing it a bit. All right, so take us to the Motor City Ad Man. Now, you're the moderator for that. I stumbled on you by Facebook. Tell us a little bit how you got into it and then how it evolved into what it is today and some of the other Facebook pages that you take care of. Well, as a retired person, I have a little bit of time on my hands, and I had, uh, oh, about four or five different pages that I came up with uh, with car things, uh, car themes to them. Um, one of them was called Asphalt Anthropology. The other one was Concept Cars and More. And it seemed that I was getting a lot more response or likes, as they call it in Facebook terms, uh, on car ads that I was posting from 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I thought, well, maybe I better start thinking about possibly going with a separate uh, Facebook page. And so I came up with, why not the Motor City Ad Man uh, Stealing a little bit of Ted's thunder there. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was going to say, you're all familiar with the Motor City Madman. Well, I have tonight on the show the Motor City Madman. So there you go. Okay, good thing. We're on the same page. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I, de- I decided to uh, more concentrate on 40s, 50s, and 60s advertising because most of those were done by hand and not computer-generated or using photos. Uh, very few... Uh, car brochures of today have anything as far as a drawing in them. It's all photos. Even like you said, uh, for like the cigarette lighter or a knob or something like that, it's not hand drawn anymore. It is an actual photograph put a, a, on paper. Well, back in the day, on the 40s and 50s, if you notice most of the ads, they include even drawings for the suspension systems. They include drawings of the engine. Very few. Uh, car brochures until you got into the late 50s offered photos of cars along with the hand drawings. Uh, The most sought-after collectibles right now that I find when I go to uh, swap meets or car meets are old magazines and car brochures from the 40s and 50s because people actually, if they do it gently, they either 
copy the photo or they use the actual photo from the brochure and make it a piece of art. There's a nice Facebook page uh, uh, done by a friend of mine, Keith, called Cars as Art. And one of the questions that I put for, forward on there was, do you consider car uh, ads as a form of art? I got back hundreds of responses saying, why, sure. It's a hand drawing done in the, the way that uh, a uh, Picasso or, or, or something would have been done. Uh, very few used any kind of extra uh, things like a computer because computers weren't being used uh, for anything like that. And they said, well, it, it is definitely an art form. If you notice, too, in a lot of the brochures, the designer of the car kind of snuck their name or initials somewhere in the illustration. If oh, you go really? to some of the 50s and 60s uh, car brochures, down on the bottom, you might say, see an AK or a MP or something like that. And those were some of the famous designers that were doing the cars for the car brochures. And what they did is, uh, I think, uh, a piece of art. I concur. Um, some of the other, um, is when, when, you're, when you're doing this, when you're posting these uh, pictures on, on, in these ads on Facebook, do you, is there an era that's more relevant to, I mean, do you get better response from than, than others? In other words, is it 60s, 70s? Is it 50s, 60s? Is it 30s, 40s? I mean, and it's I would imagine the older, older ones are harder to find. It's generally the ones that are uh, pre, oh, I would say 74, 75. Okay. Because a great, a great series that uh, uh, we had talked about earlier that you liked and I liked were with the rapid transit yes. system and Chrysler. Their, their psychedelic era of the 68 to 71 of the drawings of the cars. Talk about cars that don't look promotional or, you know. Proportionate. That, yeah, proportionate. I mean, they just took some extreme examples of automobiles and just, <laughs> like the Roadrunner. I mean, some of those Roadrunner pictures were way out that, you know, that's the Roadrunner car? Well, come on now. But, uh, yeah, the rapid transit system with their uh, advertising, no other manufacturer at that time was doing what they were doing. That's for sure. Uh, if you can find, it's very hard to find uh, from 68 to 71 brochures available at any car swap meets or anything because a lot of people hang on to those because those are definitely works of art, I think. Well, yeah, and then, you know, because... General Motors had it. Chrysler had it. Buick had it. You know, obviously we know Mopar did. You know, with the Rapid Transit, Ford did. There was sixty-nine, seventy. You know, they came out with some pretty wild, high-impact colors. Is the term they use in the industry. So where you get Plum Crazy, Panther Pink. You know, Grabber Orange, Grabber Green. Uh, you know, Carousel Red, and uh, you know, Sublime Green or whatever it was. Plum Crazy. You know, just that alone. Just so that that window there from from '69 to like you said '71, '72. And uh, th that's, um, you know, my generation, obviously, you know, we're all in those kind of cars and stuff. And I had those back in the day. So I had to grab a green car and I had to grab an orange car and being a Ford guy. By the way, you worked for Ford for a short period of time for 10 years or so. What did you do for Ford now? Tell us about oh, that. No, it wasn't uh, 10 years. It, it was a little less time than that. Oh, uh, I primarily uh, was a uh, switcher at the uh, uh, product development plant in mm -hmm. Allen Park, Michigan. That was ho home, actually, to the Edsel at one time. Oh, really? It started out as the... Uh, 
plant where they made the 55 Continental, uh-huh. and uh, then Edsel Ford came around and said, hey, we're going to use this plant, we're going to build the Edsel there. So Edsels were built there until uh, about 1960, mm-hmm. and then they became product development as part of the design center for the Ford Motor Company. And what they would do is uh, they would get the designs from down on Rotunda Boulevard, send them over to the pilot production plant, and we would see cars built from drawing up. Really? We would, we would see the vehicles as they were being put together in different sections, and then as a whole complete car. So you can imagine in, in some parts of the plant you would have just the front end hanging over, or just a rear end, or a hood, or a motor perhaps. And what they were doing is trying different combinations of different things to go into the car. You'd start out with a bare frame, they'd bring over a 302 engine. Okay, that, that fits pretty good. Let, let, let's try the 390 there. Now they bring in the 390, yeah, okay, that works. And then they do some changes and say, okay, we're going to start getting into some 428s and, and some some of the, the, the bigger block engines. And you would see some variations of cars that you wouldn't believe uh, that uh, would have the front end of a Mercury and the back end of a, a Cougar or a different type of car. Or you'd see the front end of a Ford Fairlane that had the back end of a Continental. So, I mean, you know, they were trying all kinds of different things. And then the cars would go over to the test track and get evaluated as far as aerodynamics and things like that, and things that might have to change. And then you had the guys coming over and doing drawings of the things because they were going to be putting them into brochures. Well, later on it became photos, of, of course, of, of the different things. But it, it was interesting just seeing a guy there with a sketch pad sketching out a drawing of what a coil spring would look like or what a motor would look like. And those are what appeared in the early 50s and 60s brochures. Uh, as you said, uh, come the muscle car area, mostly everything was done in photos. Now, where did you work there? I worked there uh, about, uh, let's see, it was, the first time was 2010. And then I uh, was there from 2015 to 2019. So I know where Wixom plant used to be, <laughs> which is not too far from Novi. So whereabouts is this? Now? Home of the Continental and T-Bird. Yes, absolutely. The Mark yeah, Bob II. Seeger filmed a, uh, uh, a promo for his uh, Making Thunderbirds there at the plant. Oh, at the Wixom plant? Yeah, yeah, when he made the, made the record Making Thunderbirds. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Wixom plant uh, was at 96 in uh, Wixom Road. Right. Uh, the plant I worked at is in Allen Park. Um, it's off of the uh, I-94 Oakwood exit. And how big a facility was that? Uh, I'm not sure as far as square footage, but it was big enough to produce the Edsel there, so it's got to be a pretty good size. Okay. Well, that would have been... Uh, Okay. It's a little a little less. They did knock down some of the uh, older par- portions of the building, and I think that they uh, thought, if they would have thought back, they would have kept it because as new product is coming through, like right now they're working on four different lines of, of automobiles, from the electric things to, to high-energy uh, muscle cars stuff there, and they're running out of room, so they got some of the stuff going on in portable tents and stuff like that. But uh, it's... Uh, was uh, originally the plant that they built the 55 
uh, through 57, I believe it was, the Continental Marks yeah. built there. And uh, then it became the Etzel plant in 59 uh, and went through uh, the uh, process of uh, being transformed into the what they called a pilot plant in 61. Okay. So when you were there, were you able to access some of the history to find out a little bit more about how that, what, what all was uh, done in that? I mean, what, 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 uh, what was built there and what, was, um, what all was going on at the time? Yeah, what happened is uh, during lunch breaks and things like that, I would uh, associate with some of the people that had been working there for 20, 30 years. Oh, really? Uh, we even had one guy on the dock that uh, had uh, 40 years of working there, so he worked through all three of the different transi- transitions from Continental to Edsel to uh, the newer cars. And uh, they would tell me that uh, what, what would happen there is uh, anything that was not being used anymore was taken to a dump right across the street behind the VA hospital. Oh, so no. if anybody ever had an opportunity to do a dig <laughs> and unearth some stuff, I'd be surprised of what stuff is probably buried underneath that shopping center that's there now. Oh, they, really? they used to they used to take whole cars, whole concept cars and, and take them over to the dump and just dump them and throw dirt on top of them. You know, that's sad because um, we were talking earlier, too, about Warhoop, you know, and we're all familiar with Joe Bortz. Joe Bortz has somehow got a connection with the guys at Warhoop, and Warhoop was basically a junkyard that was somehow had an affiliation with General Motors, and that's where all the concept cars, prototype cars, were supposedly taken to be destroyed. Fortunately, many of them did. They were cut in half or cut in sections, and then they were kind of hidden, so to speak. And then George right. Bortz was mm-hmm. able to retrieve those. And, you, and I think you mentioned that he also has a Facebook page? Yes, uh, Boritz Cars. Okay. And that's on Facebook. And then, and he basically has uh, samples of all, all... All the ones that he salvaged, he's got the pictures of picking them up from the junkyard on, on some of his postings, and then the assembly of how they put them back together and found out what colors they were originally were, and, and were able to get somebody to put the paint together as far as what the concept cars really looked like when they were going through those uh, GM Motoramas. Okay. Now, is Warhoop, are they still around? I believe they're under a different name now, but uh, like everything, it was location, because they're within miles of the uh, GM uh, Tech Center over by 12 Mile and Mound Road. So I think that was one of the reasons why they were able to get so many cars, is they didn't want to take them uh, further away and have the chance of somebody you know, keeping the cars totally together, so they probably had people uh, follow them. On my um, Asphalt Anthropology Facebook mm-hmm. page a while back, and I can repost, um, I have film of them destroying 56 Chrysler turbine cars, just taking a forklift into the side of the car, lifting it up into the air, putting it into the crusher, and smashing the cars down. Uh, that's heartbreaking. It is. It is. That is just uh, sad. Um, so we know that Ford took theirs across the street and dumped them in a in a landfill. We know that Chrysler, uh, General Motors put theirs at uh, sent their stuff to Warhoop. What did Chrysler do with theirs? Do you know? Well, most of the uh, uh, things that were doing be- before the big Chrysler Center was built, um, they had a Dodge Main in Hamtramck, mm-hmm. and then they had the Chrysler plants mostly in Detroit. Um, they had a design center off of Jefferson Avenue, and what their uh, 
main portion of doing uh, uh, pre-production was done at a uh, facility called the Milford Proving Grounds in Chelsea, Michigan, right off of uh, I-94 and uh, M-52. And to this day, they do have some older cars just tucked away in the lot there that have been covered by years of dirt and, and, and different things. But uh, there was uh, recently some pictures uh, that somebody <clears throat> took and uh, just happened to uh, produce out for a while that uh, they actually have some of the prototype of the uh, wingback uh, uh, Daytona 500 cars that Chrysler came up with mm-hmm. that they were only able to use for one season because everybody said they had such an advantage with that big tail on the back end. Right. Uh, and so they got that snub nose and the big tail. Uh, they got some of those cars from the 60s in pre-production out there. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of things were probably, you know, crushed beyond repair, but it's kind of nice that some of the stuff is still around. And if you're lucky enough to get to see it sometimes, it, it, it's kind of cool, especially when you look back at, at what it took to make a drawing of an automobile and then and from, from the designer who, who, who designed the car and then to the guy, the artist, that designed the brochure for it to actual being in the showroom. I mean, it, it just gets you kind of excited. Of course, you're, you know, you're you're probably in the same uh, kind of thing that I was. Remember new car uh, presentations when they used to put paper on the windows at the car yes, dealership yes, and, yes, and hit, it, yes, hit yes. everything from you yep. before, you know, it was, it was cars would come all draped in drapes, delivered in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., there's action at the car dealer because they're bringing the cars in, and, and you know, that, that kind of excitement doesn't seem to be around much anymore. It's kind of unfortunate because uh, they introduce cars at all kinds of weird times now. I mean, you know, they call it a 65 and a half or 64 and a half. But nowadays, you never know what it is because the car comes out maybe 18 months before it's supposed to be out. So you never know what year it is. I think, you know, what's interesting that you touched on that because we're in this retro phase. You know, they're bringing out the new Bronco now. You know, the Mustang's retro, the Challenger's retro, you know, the Camaro's retro. And uh, so you would think that from a marketing standpoint, that concept, just like you mentioned, I remember that as a kid, you know, they would sit there and tape off the dealership showroom so you couldn't see what was in it. And then, like you said, they'd bring a car in the middle of the night and then they'd have a grand opening seller or a grand, uh, whatever they would call it. You know, revealing. Like, yeah. Revealing, that's it, yeah. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, that was, good. that was, that was exciting because you didn't know, you know. And what was neat, too, is the, those little promo cars they used to give out. Oh yeah, the little promotional cars. Yeah, like the and that was like the all throughout the fifties, late fifties, uh, early sixties. Little model cars, one twenty four scale. Yes, absolutely. And then the the, the, the little bigger ones, the one sixty fours and and stuff like that. There are two or three Facebook pages that promote those, and some of those hard to find ones like Hudsons and things like that. They go well into the four figures Whoa. for a little plastic car. <laughs> Now you're you're the okay. So we know about the Motor City Admin and the asphalt anthro, uh, um, anthropology. Anthropology. Okay. So what uh, what if I go to that Facebook page? What and we got a minute or two left. What what would I expect to find there? Uh, asphalt anthropology is taking pictures of cars in olden, not olden days, but the, the glory days of automobiles, 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, street scenes. Uh, 
reveals at car car dealerships, a lot of dealer photos. Most of my uh, stuff for the car dealers is on my other uh, site called Car Lots and Lots of Cars. Oh, really? And then I have a Facebook page called Concept Cars and More. Now, the Concept Cars and More, uh, I go all the way back into the 20s when they were doing uh, things like out of Henry Ford's uh, private garage uh, down in Detroit and have been able to find through going to the Henry Ford Museum and to the Automotive Hall of Fame in Detroit. Being in Detroit is nice because you're so close to resources. Uh And when you want to find a photo, you can go to uh, the Benson Ford Library. There's no charge to go in. You just tell them you're here to research drawings or you want to research photographs of Detroit. Uh, GM offers you going to the GM Heritage Center. You can do the same thing. You say hi to the girl in the front. You say, (laughs) I'm here to do some research to uh, look at some of your photos. Unfortunately, a few years ago, Chrysler got rid of their museum out in Auburn Hills. Yes. But but they are trying to put together the museum on Connor Avenue in the plant that used to build the Viper. They're going to turn that into the Chrysler Museum on Connor Avenue near Warren. Well, Kevin, we are up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for taking some time out and hanging out with us here. Um, And uh, we'll certainly kind of reciprocate with you on your Facebook pages. And we'd love to have you back, you know, maybe uh, sometime in the future here when, uh, as you as things progress, you find us some really cool stuff, some different stuff, and uh, we'll have you back, and we'll talk a little bit about that. How about it? That sounds great, Robert. I look forward to it. Okay, well, very good. I want to thank my good friend, Kevin Krasinski, Motor City Ad Man. Check out his Facebook pages, Asphalt Anthropology, and what was the other one? Car Lots and Lots of Cars, something like that? Car Lots and Lots of Cars, and Concept Cars and more. All right. Kevin, take care. Thank you very much. All right, Robert. Have a good evening. You too. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia with Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tantalk Radio Network. And I want to see some of the car shows. Don't forget to tell your friends. Check out our, our social media, our Facebook page, Nostalgia with Cars, Golf Street Motorsports. Oh, yeah. Don't forget the angry car guy, Boneyard Bob. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Straight, deep, and wide. Break off to, to the other WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.